Welcome to the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. On this podcast, we give a little bit more of a commentary feel to some of the things that are happening in the nonprofit space. And we're not just talking fundraising either. We talk about all the aspects of being in the nonprofit world. The people, the relationships, the news, the politics, and the money that goes with being in this world. Stick around. Throughout the first nine episodes, I have actively avoided doing lists. I think lists are kind of lazy, but I get the appeal. <laughs> and for a lot of, uh, and I see this a lot in all, in all forms, right? Lists are easy to consume. Uh, when I write emails, I like putting my emails in lists because it's an easy way to kind of synthesize what you're trying to say. But but here, here on the Nonprofit Insider, I'm going to try to avoid lists as much as possible. Uh, I think lists are like the reality TV for writing and podcasts. And as a person who has, uh, I spent a, a large amount of my time growing up thinking I would be a writer. I was really into like the idea of working for a newspaper. And you really start to see so much of a shift as just in general, more and more people started going online. You start seeing more lists, right? Everyone's competing for your attention or competing for your, your time. And lists are one of the easiest ways. You see it all the time. BuzzFeed, the top 10, I don't know, Adam Sandler movies or like the 34 reasons why you are like this Disney character, right? Like you get the appeal. They pull you in. They're attractive, but they're a little bit lazy. And so I see a lot of great podcasts out there that lean a little too heavy on lists. I think they're a little corny, but again, I totally get the appeal. And one of the things I like to do, not that we do seasons here on the Nonprofit Insider, we're not like Netflix or Hulu or anything like that, but I think every 10 episodes, I kind of want to be a little lazy and I want to do a list. And as a good way to kind of put a bow on this quote unquote season, the first 10 episodes, I want to I wanna end with a list. And I think I'm going to do this on episode 10, episode 20, episode 30, Etc. Etc. Until I really have nothing else to say. And years ago, I was at a party, and someone at this party, this is like maybe way before COVID, I was at a party, and someone had asked me what I do, and so I was like, you know, I, I work in a nonprofit space. I do this, that, and the third, you know, yada yada yada. And the person that I was talking to, I remember kind of seeing their face. Obviously, they're in front of me. I'm talking to them, but seeing their face and they kind of lit up a little bit and they had a, oh my gosh, kind of feeling. And I think this person, I don't remember if they worked in like for profit. I think maybe they worked for like the Sandia Lab Corp or maybe they worked at Intel or something else that's really big in New Mexico. I can't even remember. But I just remember their face being like, oh my gosh. And I think that was a moment that so many people in the nonprofit space experience when they talk to people that are not in the nonprofit space. Whether you do nonprofit accounting, whether you are doing nonprofit fundraising, whether you're in the nonprofit space and you do community gardens, I think there's a sense of individuals being in the nonprofit space and having a almost halo or uh, holier than now type of feeling because you know so many folks in nonprofit space are really doing some amazing work. They're giving back to their local communities. 
They are really involved in this, that, and the third. But it's not all peaches and rainbows. And so one of the things I wanted to do as we wrap up, again, not Netflix, not doing seasons here, but I'm going to call this a season. As we kind of wrap up the season of the Nonprofit Insider, I wanted to end with a really good list uh, by really kind of highlighting, if you will, the, the top five myths of being in the nonprofit space. And look, this is not a complete list. We could really go to top 10, top 15. You know what? Honestly, maybe every 10 episodes, I'll do just another five myths of being in a nonprofit space. And you all can tell me some of your myths uh, at, at the Nonprofit Insider. Put that in the show notes. You can hit me up, hit me with an email, whatever the case may be. But I wanted to share my top five myths of being in a nonprofit space. And so if you relate to these, be sure to leave a review. Uh, you can always, again, hit me up on Instagram, send me a DM, let me know what you agree with, what you don't agree with, and we'll just kind of bounce right through it. Myth number one, and this is a, this is a really common myth. It's one I hate hearing about. I don't hear it as much from people in the nonprofit space, but I do hear this a lot from people that are outside of the nonprofit space because it's all kind of relative to a degree. But myth number one, there's no money in nonprofit. Folks, this, this, is, this is the hill that I'm going to die on. Um, there's a lot of aspects to the nonprofits that's nuanced. There's many aspects to the nonprofit space that has layers to it, right? There's ins and outs. So it's not a one-all be-all. But whenever I hear someone say there's no money in nonprofit, folks, you don't know what you're talking about. The nonprofit space is big business. Now, is it to the scale of Apple or Microsoft? Uh, is it to the scale of being a railroad magnet or a steel magnet like a Rockefeller or Carnegie? No, it, it's not to that degree. But I think there's this myth, there's this idea that exists in, in this particular world that there's just no money, right? And 80% of all dollars that come and funnel into nonprofits are, they do come by governments. So, you know, there's a little bit of truth in everything, right? Even a broken clock is right two times a day. So again, it's not to the scale of some for-profit industries. We know that. But relative, there's a lot of money in the nonprofit space. And when I hear individuals say that there's no money in nonprofit space, People aren't looking at 1099 reports a lot. They, they aren't really doing the, the research and really getting the insights that you see from the Wall Street journals and really just getting a deep sense. And so one of the things I wanted to do, very simple, is I went to Forbes.com. I get a lot of information from Forbes because they do a lot of evaluations, right? They have an ability to go in, take a look at some of the numbers and really just give it to you in, in a somewhat you know raw format. And the top 10 nonprofits in the United States in terms of revenue have a collective $38 billion. Folks, we hear a lot of talk about Elon Musk is worth this much money and Jeff Bezos is worth this much money and Carl Icahn and Michael Bloomberg and, you know, the Walton families are worth this much money. At the end of the day, $38 billion is a lot of money. That's a big operation. If your nonprofit has a billion, just $1 billion, that's a lot of money. So when you think about the top 10 nonprofits in the United States, I mean, we're talking about Feeding America. We're talking about Salvation Army. We're talking about the United Way. 
YMCA, Habitat for Humanity. As a whole, as a collective, they have the power, the will power, if you will, the influence to have $38 billion on their hands. Even if not all of it's not profit, right? And you know, it's nonprofit, but even if they're not holding on to all of that, they're still having revenues that are really high. They're bringing in private donations every year of $4 billion. You know, United Way, $2.7 billion. YMCA, $1.4 billion. So there's a lot of money that's being thrown around here. And so that's a big myth because even the top 25 nonprofits have a collective wealth of $100 billion. So that myth is absolutely debunked. There's too much money in this space. And that's why you're seeing a lot of folks that are in various for-profit industries they're jumping over into the nonprofit space, right? Because, you know, maybe you don't have to deal with stockholders as much. You know, maybe you don't have to deal with stocks and shares. I mean, you're still dealing with bigger donors, you know, bigger donors, mega donors. You're still dealing with boosters, like if this was a, you know, a college football or anything like that. But, but the money is high. Myth number two. And I think this is one that going back to, to that you see a lot of times in the for-profit space and, and nonprofits do a poor job of this themselves. They kind of sell the mission. They sell the, the feeling that you're going to get. And, and we see for-profits do this to a degree, right? Verizon, or even like, um, that was a better example, like T-Mobile, right? T-Mobile is like, you're young and cool and you want a cell phone data and service plan that like reflects you join T-Mobile, right? Dunkin' Donuts do this. They say, oh, you know, you want to feel good. Start your day off right. Like America runs on donuts or runs on Dunkin'. So they sell you a feeling, right? We all do this. Even I'm doing this right now. I'm selling you a feeling. But one of the things I think oftentimes gets told in the nonprofit space, and, and this is myth number two, it's one giant hug fest in nonprofits that you, you show up to work in your nonprofit and you've got your new suit on, you've got your new dress, you got your pencil skirt, whatever the case may be. You show up and it's like everyone looks at each other when you walk and it's like, yeah, like we're hugging, we're getting work done, we're getting a mission done. And that's such a small percentage of being in this world. I honestly would say it's less than 10%. And I'll get into some other reasons, some other myths here in a little bit. But the idea that people are in this particular space and they're just crying and hugging and laughing and having a good time and it's joy and everything just feels good. So when you go home at night, you sleep really, really nice. Look, the nonprofit world is a grind. It's a grind. There are many instances, going back to some of the previous episodes that I talked about, where you're telling your clients no a lot. You're not getting, despite there being so much money, maybe your department doesn't have the funding you hope. Maybe you're not getting paid the amount. There's just so many instances where um, you get angry, you get mad, you get sad doing this kind of work. Uh, and it doesn't matter, again, if you're a, a tech, you do website developments for, I don't know, Feeding America, or you do chemical research at St. Jude's Hospital. There are just some days where it's like, gosh, this is really, really hard. And I think for a lot of people that are in the nonprofit space, they know that, right? But it's for a lot of folks that are outside of this world 
that are like, gosh, it's like harder than I realize, right? You hear this all the times with celebrities. Celebrities are like, there were hundreds of million dollars. And they're like, I'm so sad. And society's like, why are you so sad? You have all this money and all this fame. Folks, they have the same feelings that we have. It's the same thing when you're in a nonprofit space. You go to work, you're joyful. And by the end of the day, you're ready to quit because you're like, fuck this. Myth number three, there are, and this is this is this is one I love this one so much, um, because if you're in banking, right, it's pretty clear what your objective is: make more money. Now you, you don't want to go to Wells Fargo route, you know, having fake accounts and scamming people over. But if you work at Ford, sell more cars. You know, if you work at Overstock.com, sell more pieces of furniture. It could be very, very straightforward in that particular space, right? If you're in government, maybe it's something like save money, don't go over budget. We know how the government can be. They're so different from state to state and just even at the federal level. But myth number three is one that I I hear a lot, even actually in the nonprofit space, because certain nonprofits can be, it can be a little hit or miss as it relates to this, but there are no real goals in nonprofits. Folks, nothing can be further from the truth. When you run an operation that brings in $3 billion a year, you have goals. It's just that it's just that simple. It's just that straightforward. And even at some of the, the smallest nonprofits, I mean, I'm talking like a one-person nonprofit, a two-person nonprofit, you still have goals, right? You still have things you need to accomplish. You need to get that website running. You need to take the time to write that blog post. You need to update your email list. You need to take the time to call that potential board member back. You still have things you're trying to accomplish. And a lot of times with a lot of nonprofits of even sizable uh, scope and scale and amount of money they bring in, they still, you can still work a particular job and they still say, your goal for this month, your goal for this year, your goal for this quarter, whatever the case may be. Because there's still levels of accountability. There's still levels of getting something done. And so when I hear individuals in the nonprofit space say, well, you know, I have things I need to accomplish, I have things I need to get done, but I don't have any goals, that's a red flag. Because even if you work in a nonprofit, even if you're trying to sell the mission and hugs and all that stuff, you should still have goals. You should still have things you're trying to strive towards, uh, things you're trying to check off. Basically ways to just identify, oh, we're getting better at this. And if you don't have goals in a nonprofit and it's clear you don't have goals, uh, you might wanna reconsider where you're working at. But good nonprofits, um, effective nonprofits, and, and even, even nonprofits that are looking to be wild and grow and change industries, they still have goals. Myth number four, you can actually do more with less in nonprofits. We hear this a lot just in general society. You can, less is more. Eh, in the context, yes, less is more. But in many instances, when we're talking about changing lives, when we're talking about making sure that society and the will and the 
underbelly of society is improve, you can't do less with more. If you go to any nonprofit right now and you say, I'm going to give you uh, more high quality employees, I'm going to give you better access to technology, I'm going to give you better transportation um, access to cars or vehicles or bus passes or train passes, whatever the case may be, I'm going to give you a bigger check uh, and I'm going to give you a better office space. Those nonprofits aren't going to say, oh my gosh, no, I, I can't do that because I can actually do less with more. And I see this a lot from folks that are not in the in this particular sphere that say, you know what, I want to give you some money, but you know, you can do less with more. You should have an operation cost uh, of 3%. Folks, what world are you living in? Because I'm still living on planet Earth. And the concept or the idea that nonprofits should do more with less is false and actually kind of harmful. And the notion that nonprofits are doing more with less is false. The most successful nonprofits I know have access to better funding. They have access to better talent. They have access to better technology. They have access to just better pieces of information. That's how you get more done when you have things that are, are, are more. And you could say, you know what? You'd rather have something be better, right? Like I'd rather have one really, really good car that works. You know, I'd rather have, I'm trying to think of a really good car I would love to have. Like I'd rather have a really good, I don't know, Porsche or a really good, that's not a bad, that's not a good example because there's so many car defects. I used to work in the car industry, so I'm like, ugh. But let's say like, yeah, I, I want a really good SUV because I have a family of five and I'd rather have a really good SUV than have like two or three beater cars. Yeah, in that case, quality is definitely better. In that case, you are able to do more with less if it's a better quality. But the, the idea that you're able to do uh, do more with less in nonprofit, it just, it just never makes any sense. And I hear this a lot, you know, I, listen, I give a lot of credit to nonprofits. No, nonprofits aren't perfect, uh, and a lot of them have issues along the way. But one of the things I hear a lot with Goodwill, I'm, I'm gonna give Goodwill a little shout out here. One of the things I hear with Goodwill, and they're the seventh ranked here on Forbes. I mean, they bring in a revenue of 7.4 billion and 1.44 billion in, in donations. I hear a lot of people go, I want to, I hear a lot of people say, I went to Goodwill and I was like, you know, and they do a lot of services, but I went to the, the thrift store to buy some pants and they were selling the pants for $10, but they got the pants for free and I walked out. Folks, I've given, I've donated to Goodwill. I've donated to a lot of nonprofits. And what, what a lot of people may not realize is, yeah, you donate that pair of pants and it's a good quality and it's really good. But on the flip side, they also get a lot of junk. People donate their old broken vases. They donate uh, vacuums that have eight years of pet hair in it. Nobody wants that crap. And so when I hear people say, I went to Goodwill and the, the Goodwill and the prices were so high, I couldn't believe it. Well, what you don't realize is they get, uh, for every 100 items, maybe they only keep 25 and they are the ones on the hook for 
properly discarding or recycling the other 75% of the stuff that you no longer want in your house. So I try to give nonprofits credit where credit is due and give nonprofits a pass. And so they are one of those situations where you're giving them a lot of stuff. You're giving them more and more and more, but really they're trying to do less with more in those situations. So the price is good. And then myth number five, and this is the final myth that um, I, I, absolutely a, a pet peeve, and I see this a lot specifically in the nonprofit space, not as much outside. But myth number four, since you aren't paid as much as you would get in the for-profit space, you get other great benefits like more time off and less drama. No. Let's, let's just start there and then let's end there. No. One of the things about being in the nonprofit space is, again, going back to you're selling the mission, you're, you're selling hugs, you know, all of those things are really, really great. But more often than not, you may not get paid as much as you would get in the for-profit space. And I talked about this in episode one, 55,600 and what was it, 38, something like that. Even though you may not get paid as much in a nonprofit space, even if you love the mission, the idea that you're getting other benefits is a myth. Now, it's not a 100% myth. It's not like there's no money in a nonprofit. That's just a 100% blatant lie. That's not true. But there are some instances where you can be in the nonprofit space and get good pay and get good benefits and get time off and get less drama. That's what I strive to do, right? In my world, if as best as I can, it's not always perfect. But for so many folks in the nonprofit space, they may not get the best vacation package. They may not get the best health insurance or dental insurance. They may not, they, they may go into to the office and have an executive director that is a tyrant, right? So the idea, the thought that you can be in the nonprofit world and get so many other great benefits in lieu of. I used to hear this a lot from a lot of uh, entry-level jobs when I was like 22, 23, right? You start to work at you know at various organizations, for-profits, and they're like, listen, we can't pay you more than $12 an hour, but you can get one free meal every day you work. Great. After a month, I've eaten everything off this coffee shop menu and there's nothing else I wanna eat here. There's just some things that can't be replaced. And when it comes to compensation for many employers, that's at the top of the list. But if you are in a position where maybe the pay is not as well and you get other benefits, that's great. But that's not true across the board. And that's why it's a myth. Because I know so many individuals that work in for-profits, they have drama. And you've heard some of the horror stories, right? Here on this podcast, right? Remember that horror story from what? two, three episodes back of the woman who uh, was working in Aurora, Colorado, and the fundraiser was mad because they, they had the shooting and then they couldn't get their bonus. They're, this is still a human business. And I think that's that gets lost for a lot of folks, right? The mission could be good. The vibes could be great. What you're doing for your community can be amazing. But again, there are, there are just days that are hard. There are instances where you don't get along with your coworker. You don't get along with your supervisor. There are, there are drama that happens all throughout. You work at a nonprofit, they aren't even able to offer you 
health insurance. I I've, I interviewed for an organization not that you know, not so long ago. Got to keep my options open, and they they had a slightly higher pay than other organizations, but they didn't offer health benefits. They offered you like health coupons through the state, and it's like yeah, that's great, but like if I get really really hurt. Those health coupons can only take me so far compared to like traditional, you know, PPO, HMO health insurance. So the the the, the concept that uh, since you aren't paid as much as for profits, you get other great benefits, 100% false, not true. And like I said, starting this myth and ending this myth, no, 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 no. All right, before we get out of here, it's our favorite segment of the week, the nonprofit horror stories. And if you listen to episode nine, the last episode, the McKenzie Scott effect, told some interesting stories in the beginning of a woman stealing about $270,000 from a local local nonprofit in DC. And then I uh, talked a little bit about McKenzie Scott, but I didn't do a traditional nonprofit horror story. So you know I had to come back. Episode 10, we're finally in the double digits, so uh, big shout out to us. It'll be exciting when we get to the triple digits. That's how far in advance I'm thinking when it comes to this podcast. And so I I had um, received an email from someone on saying that they they had a story, they wanted to be able to share it. And this was a a really exciting moment because this is from someone that I did not know. Uh, They had found the podcast through a couple of, you know, different sources out there. And they said, hey, I'm really enjoying it, loving the nonprofit horror stories. Wanted to send you a message. So this is the very first person uh, to send me a, a story, and I, I don't know them. So big shout out to you, Carlos. Hopefully we'll cross paths. We'll stay in touch. And this is a good opportunity to plug it in. If you have a nonprofit horror story you want to share, just reach out to me. Swim.kareem at Gmail. You can also hit me up on Instagram. It'd be easy to find, you know, just look up the nonprofit horror stories. I have that all in the show notes. Yeah, bada bing, bada boom. So an amazing story, a, a fun, but a little bit of a stressful story coming at you here. So let's go ahead and get into it. Carlos writes. Hello, Swim. Loving the podcast and the direction you are taking it. Excited to see where it goes. I have a nonprofit horror story that may not rise to the level of absolute terror, but it is one that put me in a state of much dread. So I had a four-year-old cat named Oliver that I received from my sister who ended up moving overseas to Germany with her wife and, as you would imagine, could not take the cat with her. The cat and I bonded pretty early on and I got to love the cat pretty quickly. About two years after getting Oliver the cat, she went missing. She was an indoor-outdoor cat, so she usually would come and go as she pleased. After about four days of her not returning home, I decided I needed to put some missing flyers up around the neighborhood. I tinkered on the flyer for a little bit and ended up making about three different versions of the flyer. I didn't have a printer at my apartment. This was back in 2014, by the way. So I decided to print some copies of the flyers at the nonprofit cancer research organization I worked with. The organization is a mega giant in the health nonprofit world, but the office I worked out of in Indiana only had about a dozen staff members or so. 
I remember quite vividly that this was on a Friday and I wanted to print off about 40 or so copies so I could hang up the flyers after work and over the weekend. It was about 12.30 in the afternoon and I was about to go to lunch, but I wanted to print off a few copies in different color paper before going to lunch so I could see what they looked like or if I wanted to make any changes. I printed off the copies and they looked pretty good. This is where things turned bad. I went to lunch at a deli close by, ate and returned to my office about 45 minutes later. That's when... To my horror, I walked into my office and I almost was and I and I was almost immediately approached by one of my good co-workers. She said to me, and I will never forget this part, she said to me in a bit of a straightforward but concerning manner, is this yours? Why holding out one of the flyers in front of me? I nervously said, yeah. And she proceeded to walk me over to the table next to the printer where I saw hundreds upon hundreds of copies of my missing cat flyers. My face went blank. Our office would often close between 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. So when my coworker returned to the office from her lunch, she said the printer was running non-stop. So she went to see what was happening and discovered a pile of papers all over the floor next to the printer. She was able to stop the printer, but not before nearly 2,200 copies of the flyers were printed. To this day, I don't know what in the world happened. I don't know if it was a formatting issue that caused so many prints, or if I fat fingered the number of copies I wanted before going to lunch, but I was so embarrassed and downright horrified. It would be more than six months before I lived down the office jokes of what we called the 2014 print fiasco. <laughs> and here's the ironic part. Oliver the cat ended up returning to me about three days later. Turns out a person in the neighborhood thought the cat was abandoned and she ended up being at a neighbor's house for about a week. My advice for nonprofit cat owners, if you can put a collar and tag on your cat, do it. And of course, watch how many copies of flyers you print before going to lunch. Anyway, take care. Loving the podcast and seriously, your nonprofit horror stories are 10 out of 10. I hope this makes the cut. Well, I can tell you for sure, Carlos, this is making a cut. And this is going to make a very special episode. It's making today's episode, episode 10. Um, what an absolute wild ride. Be because, of course, you're... you're, you're <laughs> wow. I'm, like, invested in the cat. I'm learning about the cat. And I'm like, oh, wow. There's flyers. I, like, when I was reading this for the first time, I didn't know what direction this was going. But by the end, I felt that embarrassment because listen, I, we've all been there, right? For me, this happens a lot when I'm doing Excel and I want to print off a form or uh, print off a spreadsheet or something like that. And you always got to watch the formatting, the formatting because there are going to be those occasions where you print that particular page or two or three that you want. 
But then, you know, Excel is, is infinite. It can go on forever and ever. And so there have been moments, honestly, where I've printed off an Excel form and 50 pages in, I'm like, what the heck is going on? And you look at, you know, you look at the printer and it says it's going to print 1900 or it's printing uh, 1600 copies uh, or, or pages of what you want. So 100% relatable, Carlos. You're not alone. And I know for me, I've had this happen, like I said, so yeah. And I had asked, I said, well, how did you know that it printed off 20? This was in a follow-up email. I asked him, I said, how did you know it was going to print or that it printed off 2,200 copies? And he said, they ended up looking in the print receipts and that it had it was scheduled to print off 4,000 copies. And so his theory, although he can't you know, 100% prove it, is that he entered in four zero and then maybe two extra zeros for 4,000 where he really meant to do 40 copies. So an, an absolute amazing story. Embarrassment is horrifying. So I get where you're coming from. So please be sure to follow us on Instagram if you haven't already at the Nonprofit Insider. We, we have some really good pieces of information uh, that, that are kind of floating around there. But be sure to keep, keep up with what we're doing. And if you have a story, link up with us in the show notes because we love to put you on. Uh, because, wow, there, there's some really good stories out there all over the world. So have a good time. Have a good rest of your, your day. Enjoy the weather. Get out there. Be well. Take care, everyone.